Today, we are looking at the new movie, Incredibles. I just need to see a show of hands. How many of you thought the new Credibles was better than the first Incredibles? How many? Poll? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. You all with that raise your hand. Got to go. Now, like, there's the exit. Like, really? The first one was so good, but the second one was fun. But it was like, man, I didn't know if it lived up to the hype. But it was fun. I just waited. We waited 14 years, y'all. We waited 14 years years. I just am not a patient person, but it was a fun movie. It was fun. I love so many of the scenes because it had to do with parenting. It was just great. So if you're new, if you're our guest here, we want to welcome you. We're in a series entitled At The Movies. If this is your first time here, you came on a great series because first time guests get free movie tickets. All right. So you came on a great Sunday. So on your way out, make sure you stop by our connect booth. And in case you haven't seen Incredibles, now you can go and see Incredibles. All right. So we're going to have a great time together, but we are talking about the subject of parenting, raising children, because as you know today, it isn't easy. It's a struggle. It has its difficulties. It has its moments where you're just stressed out because of all the difficulties with parenting. And so each week we're going to look at a movie and we believe that movies, they communicate a message. They have some meaning to them. And so we're looking at this movie entitled The Incredibles. And we're looking at a uh, particularly the parenting dynamic, how it was just a struggle for him, and it's just interesting. But we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter number 11. If you have your Bible, you can take it to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And if you don't, that's fine. It'll be up on your screen. Uh, Moses, who wrote the law, also wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy chapter number 11, this is Moses writing to the children of Israel. This is, they had just left Egypt, and so now they're leaving Egypt. And so they are giving some commands from Moses how to do some things. And so this is where we're going to pick up today as we talk about this subject of parenting. Now you may be in this room and you may be like, you know what? I don't have kids. Hopefully these notes will help you. You may be in this room. You say, I'm a grandparent. I believe this grandparents, that's a second chance, you know? And uh, the best part is when you can't handle them no more, you go and send them home. Like, and you just, you just do Get rid of them. You know, you could just send them to somebody else's house. You could just say, hey, I'm done. You know, and that's that's the great part. So whatever you stage you find yourself, I hope and pray this must be a help and an encouragement to you. But when it comes to parenting, I want to let you know, men, we have it difficult. We get some judgment a little bit, but it's nothing like the women in the room. You say, what do you mean? Here's the thing. Ladies, you get judged on your parenting before the child is even born. Have you noticed that? Like when Jane was pregnant with our, our most recent cane, she would go and do CrossFit and she would lift. And even some of you, I saw some of you haters, you would comment, I don't think that's healthy for the baby. And Jane's like, watch me. You know, and she just, it was good for the hormones to like let out that rage, you know, better at the gym than at me. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, but, it, but you, it's amazing how you're pregnant. You haven't had the child yet. People are like, uh, should you be eating that? I don't, I don't think that's good for the baby. Oh, it's a little bit hot today. I don't think you should be out here. And you're like, the mom's in this room. You already got judged before you even had kids. All right. And then once you had them, it doesn't matter what you feed them. Somebody's going to be upset. Somebody can be mad. Oh, you feed them too healthy. They need to eat more. Please give them some sugar. Or some parents like, oh, you give your kid a lot of sugar or you take them to McDonald's or you don't take them to McDonald's. You're gluten-free. You're not gluten-free. You're fat-free. You're not fat-free. You're giving them milk. You're not giving them milk. You're giving them almonds instead of milk, almond milk and everything. You're milking almonds. You're doing all that kind of crazy stuff. And, and you're like, somebody's going to judge you. It just, it just happens. Ladies, you have it way worse than the men. Men, we get a little bit, but for the most part, part, 
if we're a dude and we just show up in our kid's life, oh man, we're doing a pretty good job. Like we just got to show up. Like you could take your toddler skydiving and people like, oh, he's a good dad. He showed up in the relationship. That's a good dad. You know, it just, we, the bar is so low for men. It's so low. And yet we still seem to mess it up. Don't we as dads? We still mess it up. It's a low bar, it's a very low bar. So we're talking about parenting. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's amazing. And then anything you post online on social media. I love social media. I'm rarely on Facebook, but uh, I was on it last night and I was just looking at pictures of people's kids and families. It's just fun to see everybody what things are happening. But isn't it amazing? You can post something about your child and there'll be a bunch of people that'll say nice, cute stuff. But then there's always that one person that's got to be judgmental. And you're like, I just want to delete you from life. Like if I could just delete you from existence, I want to do that. You know, we, Cain is a, a rather large child of ours. I have three children, Megan, Austin, and Cain. Now Cain is just rather large. He didn't get it from me. I'm still trying to figure out who his dad is because he owes me child support. All right. So, um, <laughs> welcome to Southridge. It's just real and raw. All right. So, um, because he's so big, he's so big and it didn't come from this at all, you know? And so he doesn't fit the normal infant car seat. He needs like the grown up car seat. You know how our kids have to be 10 before they can't, don't have to use the car seat. He needs one of them. Well, well, we didn't put the car seat in right, but we took a picture of him because he looks so cute in this little tiny car seat. And it was like, are you kidding me? I mean, this isn't saving nothing. So we took a picture of it. And then Everybody, instead of getting the point that, hey, this baby's way too big for the car seat, people are like, your car seat's facing the wrong way. I'm like, for real? For real? Like, that's not the point. The point is, this child is obviously, he should probably be in the front seat. It's probably safer there. Just for real. Just for real. The dude has a 5 o'clock shadow when he's 15 months old, okay? It just... I don't know what he's on. I want some. I just, he's more of a man than I am. So we're talking about parenting. You get the struggle. You get the struggle. So when it comes to parenting, I want us to have a little bit of shift in our mindset, maybe a little bit of a Copernican revolution, so to speak, because when it comes to parenting, a lot of us are parenting and we're parenting children and we're not parenting them to be adults. Do you get, there's a difference. We're parenting children, but wait a minute. The goal is for them to leave. The goal is for them to be responsible, respectful, self-controlled, emotionally balanced and healthy children. And that grow up into a responsible adult. That's the goal. And so, but yet our parenting doesn't often reflect that. Sometimes our parenting reflects that we're parenting children and we treat them always like children instead of saying, wait a minute, I need to slowly help them mature. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture I believe will help us because we're raising not, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults because raising kids is just for a season. So in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, there is really, it's eight verses, but I believe these eight verses can help us in a powerful way. So if you have your Bibles, or if you're ready to hear, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. The words will be up on the screen. Verse number 13 says, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord, your God, and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and to worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Verse 19, catch this. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates so that your eyes, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land. The Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So I love this passage because he's setting a goal for our parenting. He's setting the goal because oftentimes what happens is we don't necessarily have a goal for how our children need to turn out. So what happens, it's like an archer. It's just kind of, Hey, wherever the arrow lands, we kind of tend to move the goal there. So what happens is we say all of our children and that one turned out. And then we say, yeah, that was the goal, but we didn't have them all turn out. So we want to set a goal. And in this scripture verse, Moses sets a goal, not just for the children of Israel, but how they should parent and how they should raise up children. And so he sets them and we're going to look at three words today. So there's three words that he gives as a goal for our parenting. The first word is the word to connect. Okay. That's the first goal to connect. That's number one. See, Moses is teaching the parents. The number one goal is connection. Now today connection is important, isn't it? Isn't it important for our children to have a good connection with friends, to have a good connection with their parents, to have a good connection with their teachers, with their relatives. We we want and we foster good connections. But in verse 13, it gives us the first and foremost connection. You say, what is that? In verse 13, the connection was to be connected with their creator. You see, verse 13 says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the key. You see, there's one goal that Jane and I have for our three children. It's this goal. And it's not that they become millionaires. It's not that they graduate from an Ivy League school. It's not that they necessarily move out of our house. The biggest goal is that one day when mom and dad are out of the picture, that they still love God, that they still love God. That's our goal. You say, wow, you've really lowered the bar. Yeah, we have, because we believe if they get that goal, they'll get everything else. Because for us, to connect them with their creator is the biggest of all. To connect them with their creator. We're going to put that on the screen, because I want you to write this stuff down. I want you to set it in your notes, because we give you on the back of your worship guide notes, so you can take them, and so you can pour over them. Because we want you to talk about this with your spouse, to talk about this. Maybe you're engaged. Talk about them, maybe with with your uh, children, your grandchildren and say, Hey, my goal, my prayer is that I want to connect you with their creator. Now I grew up in a large family. My parents had seven children. I, uh, was kind of in the middle child for a while because for the first, uh, five kids, they were all two years apart, like clockwork, just two years apart. Okay. So that's how it was for the first five. And then they had not just one oops, baby, but two oops, baby. Okay. All right. That that's what happened. Okay. And, uh, so I have a brother who is 19 and an older brother who is 37. So there's quite a gap. So there was two children. They never lived at home together. But there was one thing my parents did with all seven of their children. And this is what was so huge. Now, all of us have a parenting wound here this morning. There is something that your parents did or did not do that wounded you or hurt you. We all have baggage. We all have that. We all have something that we know looking back because we're older, we're wiser. We know what was going on. We now know what the yelling was about, what the slamming of doors was about. We now know why somebody may have left, never came back. We, we know that now. Now, it doesn't fix it. Doesn't fix it, doesn't heal the hurt, but we all have a scar, a wound from that. Now, my parents, we're not perfect parents. By any stretch of the imagination. You say, why? Because my dad did not grow up with the dead. 
his dad died when he was eight years old. So he never saw that example. So that meant his mom had to work the entire time. So she was never home. So he had to raise himself. So for my dad, any involvement with his children was way more than he ever got. So there was a wound. Now, he wasn't perfect. There were some definite things that he did wrong. But there was two things my parents got right. Two things. The number one thing that stands out, because people will talk to my parents and say, how did you guys raise seven kids? Three of them are in full-time ministry. The rest are involved in the church. All right? Two of them are pastors. There was a time that three of them were pastors. But right now, two are full-time pastors leading churches. And so you say, and man, how did that happen? None of their kids went to jail. None of them were addicts, you know? And uh, all but, I think, two are not married, you know? And it's like they're, they're doing quite well. And many people will ask my parents, how did that happen? And they don't really know, but I know. It's these two things. Every night, even until I left the house, every night, mom or dad would come into the room and pray over their children. You say, wow, I was expecting way more. I was expecting that they pay for your college, they gave you a car at 16, that they just made sure you were emotionally balanced, they took you to a therapist. No, 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 no. They didn't necessarily always take us to a doctor when we needed a doctor. So they certainly didn't take us to a therapist, all right? I mean, there was a lot of stuff we needed that they did not give us. But that was one of the biggest things. You say, why? Because they wanted us to be connected to the creator. They wanted that for us. And that's where Moses starts out. He says, hey, we need people to be connected to their creator. What's the biggest thing children need to know is that God made them. God made them. They weren't an accident. They weren't just some primordial ooze that just kind of big bang that just happened one day. It's that God made them because when we don't, when we think we don't have a creator, that we're just random, that it's just an accident, that means that we don't have a purpose. But I'm here to tell you, you do have a purpose. God created you. God made you. God formed you. The Bible says this, that you are, and I'm going to use the old King James word, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Basically, it means you're awesome. That's what it means. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. That's because that's what you are. God says you are awesome in his creation. You say, why would we say that? That seems very arrogant. No, no, because we're created after God's image. We're created after his image. That's Genesis 1. And so we see that God will help our children understand that God made you. Secondly, that Jesus loves you. I don't know about you, but there's a great old song, and I sing it for my kids. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. It's a little song, but it's so powerful. It's the truth behind it that somebody loves me. Now, many of you, you grew up in a home where dad was either distant, he was absent, he made some poor decisions, you have some wounds. And so when you hear God is father, you push back against that because you're like, I don't like that because I didn't have a good dad, whether he was absent or present, you push back on it. Now, understand this. God is not the reflection of fatherhood. He's the perfection of fatherhood. He's everything that you ever wanted in a father. That's what God is. He's not a uh, pseudo image of your earthly father. No, no, he is the perfection of fatherhood. So to call God father and to sing that song that he's a good, good father, he truly is. And so to connect our our children with their creator is first and foremost. You see, you came to church and this is exactly what a pastor is going to tell you. That, hey, teaching your children to love God and to serve him is first and foremost. I know you're going to teach them how to drive. You're going to teach them men how to tie a tie. You're going to teach them how to maybe uh, fix a fence, you know. Or maybe you're going to teach them how to change the oil. You're going to teach them what to say to a lady or to open the door for a lady. And and moms, you may teach your daughters how how to be strong, confident women. You may teach these things. But there's one thing I think in our culture we're missing out is the connection with the creator but here's a little thing that i hear all the time all the time people that ask me what do i do and i'll tell them pastor and then here's what they eventually say they will say stuff to me they'll say you know what i'm just gonna let my children decide what they want to do with religion i'm just gonna let them do that and i'm always like oh oh okay and i look at them and i say 
can you be consistent in your hypocrisy then? You say, that's mean. I know, but just go with me for a second. How many of you sat down with your children and, and when they're eight or nine and said, you know what? School, eh, it's optional. Now, if you want to, you can. I'll pack your little lunch. I'll get your clothes. But if you don't want to go to school, in elementary, how many parents you had that talk? Oh, oh none, none? Okay, okay. We'll keep going with me. How many sat down with your 10-year-old and there was a plate of green leafy vegetables on the plate. And you said, you know, these vegetables, eh, I, it's kind of optional. You don't, you don't really have, you don't feel like it. you don't, you don't, and you have that. Oh, you didn't have that conversation. Oh, what about this one? When it came time to brush your teeth, you know, you're like, you know what kids, they got this thing called dentures. So if you don't want to brush those, don't worry. Dentures, they, they got them. Did you have that? Con- oh, you didn't. Oh, what about this conversation to clean your room, make your bed? Did you have that conversation? Isn't it amazing? We tell our kids what to do all the time. But then when it comes to this thing that is huge about connecting them with their creator, we're kind of like, I'll let them decide. Why aren't we consistent with our hypocrisy? Because we don't do that in every other area of their lives. We actually micromanage them. We make sure to know who their friends are, what video games they're playing, what TV shows they watch, what things they eat. I mean, we do it all else. But then when it comes to God, you're going to let them make that up? No, no, that's, that's unwise. Let's say tomorrow, Jane and I, we tell our kids, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland as a family. We got hopper passes, and we're going to have a great time. It's going to be so much fun. My children, they'd be like, man, dad and mom are the greatest dad and mom in all of history. This is great. They'd be so excited. And what if I looked at Megan, Austin, and Kane and say, okay, mom and dad are driving there. I'll be there with your tickets and a hat and a churro. You just got to find your own way there. We wouldn't do that, would we? I'd be a messed up dad, wouldn't I? So you're going to put the biggest decision on the child? No, no, no. The Bible says to teach them to talk about these things. He goes on so far as to say, hey, write them on your hands. Some of you, you do this, and I, and I think it's really cool. You'll literally tattoo scriptural verses on your, on your body because you want that reminder. Or you'll tattoo a word or a verse because you want people to know that you are a Christ follower. You want it so ingrained in them because you are all about connecting them with their creator. Because the single greatest thing you and I will do is to connect them with something eternal, something transcendent. Because this will give them everything else. This is the foundation that Moses said, hey, if we're going to have a godly nation, if we're going to have good people, this starts here. You see, today we're looking at our nation. We're looking at the problems in our country. And there are so many problems. And it stems back to the fact that we don't have a connection with our creator. We've taken it away. We've taken prayer out of the schools. Now, we can blame the schools or we can blame the fact that we as parents aren't praying with our children. That we're not doing what we can do. And so let's get back to the fact that, wait a minute, I'm going to teach my children. There's a great man in the Old Testament. His name was Joshua. Joshua's at the end of his life, and he's getting before the people. Joshua was mentored by Moses. And Joshua gets in front of this nation. Moses has since died. And Joshua says to the nation before Joshua's about to die, he says, you all can do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have that in your kitchens. Some of you have it over the door frame. But yet, I want us to get it in our hearts, to get it in the culture of our homes. May it permeate the atmosphere and the attitudes of what we do. That we, first and foremost, we understand that we got to connect our children to the creator. We got to connect our grandchildren to the creator. Everything hinges on this connection. This connection is first and foremost. That's why he prioritizes it. He tells us we have to have this connection. Notice the second word is to cultivate. And if you're taking notes, write that down. It's the word cultivate. We need to cultivate. 
You say, what do you mean? This word cultivate means this day in and day out work. It's the type of work that a farmer might do. It's the type of work you may do in your backyard, in your garden. You're cultivating. Some of us, we don't understand that parenting is cultivating. There are things we do day in and day out, day in and day out. We tell our children, brush your teeth, wash your hands. We tell them to pick up their plates, take out the trash. There's things we just constantly tell them, don't talk to strangers. We have these things. You see, the next thing that Moses begins to talk about is that we need to cultivate their character. We need to cultivate their character. You see, here's what he says in verse number 19. He says, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You see, there's a pattern to parenting. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a pattern to parenting. You say, what do you mean that pattern to parenting? Many times I'll get to talk to parents and they'll say, I had three kids, four kids, five kids, two kids, whatever the number may be. They were raised in the same home. We had the same standards, the same rules, and they all turned out totally different. And I'll say, well, that's a problem. Your children are totally different. So we can't parent them all the same way. So if there's a pattern to parenting, it's that don't parent the same way every child. I have three children. I've got an eight-year-old. I've got a six-year-old and a 15-month-old. Now, here's the thing about Megan. Megan is sweet. She's kind. Uh, if there's somebody who is uh, new to the group, she wants to include them. She's artistic. That's just how she is. And whenever she has a problem, instead of getting upset with her, maybe yelling at her or punishing her, you know the way, the best way to get to her and to really have a good conversation? Take her to Johnny Rocco's and talk about it over a milkshake. It changes everything. Now, Austin, on the other hand, he hates humans in general. He just, he just doesn't like anybody, all right? He just doesn't like you, okay? So for him, it's totally different. I have to parent him totally different than I parent Megan. Megan, we could sit down over a milkshake and be like, hey, what's going on, baby? And then she'll kind of grab it, stir it for a little bit, just kind of talking, you know? And then we just, good two hours, and then fixes all kinds of problems. All kinds of problems, all right? She's eight. She doesn't have really profound ones except the ones that I created. But, you know, it's just, you know, we just, we work through it, Okay? But I don't have to get all mad and all upset. It's so simple. But with Austin, it's totally different. Austin, give me your Nintendo. Give me your toys. You know, you're grounded till you're 18. I mean, there's all kinds. Of, it's totally different with Austin. He's wired differently. Now, Kane, Kane, his personality is starting to come out too. Austin is a little bit on the dramatic side, okay? I don't know where he gets it from. Beats me. Like I said, I need to meet his dad so I can pay, get my child support money back. But anyway, and so when it comes to uh, Kane, Kane, I'm seeing his personality come out. And Austin, since he's dramatic, Austin will pretend like he's really hurt. But then we've noticed we just kind of ignore him. Like, yeah, we just kind of do. I don't know if you do that. When you get more kids, you'll learn to do that too. And uh, so he'll, he'll be like, my ankle. And then he'll roll around on the floor. His ankle, there's not a scratch. There's no blood. Nothing's broken. No bones are showing. You know, none of that. But yet, mom and dad are just kind of like, we're doing our own thing. We, we, we're just, it's better to just kind of leave them alone. But Cain, on the other hand, has a soft heart. So Cain walks over, and we saw this just two days ago. Cain just kind of laid on Austin, just kind of laid there, just kind of, and just kind of went like this. Now, Cain doesn't really say any words, but he's just kind of, he's got a soft heart. He, he wants you to feel better. He, he's a nurturer. He's, he's that type of a personality. And so it's not time to discipline him yet, but when it does come time, We'll, we'll handle it differently than all the other children. So when the pattern of parenting, you say, well, how do I cultivate their character? Here's three words, and I'm going to make it easy. First of all, intentional time. And there's one thing that we are missing in our culture is time. 
because we're so busy. We're in the Silicon Valley. So sometimes people will think, oh, we're just rude. No, it's the fact that it's going to take us maybe an hour and a half in traffic to get home this weekend. So we don't have a lot of time to be driving. And so we're frustrated when we get home and we had to commute to work and that was another hour. And so we're losing all this time just in traffic and we don't emotionally feel all that great. So we turn on the TV because we just want to numb or self-medicate ourselves and just kind of check out on the world. But we don't understand that, man, those are precious hours before our children go to bed. I try to be engaged with my children till about 8.30. You say, why? Because about 8.30, they're going to bed. So after 8.30, I can talk to Jane. I can watch TV. I can clean up the house. There's all kinds of stuff. But man, when I get home from work, I got about two hours. So if they want to wrestle on the floor, I want to be engaged. Uh, Rick Warren said this. He said, love is spelled T-I-M-E, time. One of the greatest investments we can give is this time. That's why he said, hey, talk with your children. Hey, share with them. So we need intentional time, intentional time with our children. Plan it on the calendar. Let them know I'm going to spend intentional time. I told you my parents, they did a couple things. They didn't have any money. We were broke. We were poor. I'm telling you what, I grew up in a large family, so that meant they were handy-downs. I just thank God that I didn't have older sisters, just older brothers. I guarantee those handy-downs would have got awkward, all right? It would have. You would have judged my past, all right? It just would have been one of those things. And so when it came to time, my dad on our birthday, he pulls out of school and we got to spend the entire day. We could do whatever we wanted with our dad. Just that one day. And it was like, man, that meant the world to us. It was like, man, I get this one day. It was intentional time. It was time. Now I did what didn't cost a lot of money. It was just time. Some of us think, oh, our kids need all this money. I need to buy them this newest and greatest. And when you grew up poor, you may have made the same mistake that I used to make. I maybe still do, but I want to give everything my, that I didn't have. I want to give it to my kids. I didn't get new toys for birthdays and new toys for Christmas. I got handed downs or whatever. And so I want to make sure my kids have the newest and best. But I'm noticing something. I'm noticing that I'm creating this entitlement that didn't used to be. And you say, why? Because I'm, I have a good intention, but it's turning out wrong. Why? Because I'm trying to give them something that I did not have. But here's what happens. I began parenting for their happiness, not their readiness. You see, that's what happens. We're parenting for their happiness. And we want our children to be happy. But honestly, happiness is not the goal. Their readiness is the goal. Their readiness to become mature, responsible adults. That's the goal. That's what we want. Why? Because we see a lot of kids that they are out of control. And we're trying to control them. And they don't have self-control. Why? Because we have not been parenting for their readiness. So we need to take time to cultivate time. And we need to have intentional time, intentional talk. We need to talk to them. Put that time into him. I told you on that one day I got with my dad. It was just that talk. We just got to talk. We just got to talk. And that helped me. It helped that I had this connection with him. But then also the other thing was intentional truth. I was able to pass down. I was able to get intentional truth in those moments. You see, we need that. Your kids need that. They, they're looking at culture to get truth. Where else are they learning about truth? Come on, today, parents aren't even teaching their kids about the birds and the bees, so they're letting the schools do it. They're letting culture do it. And schools and culture are both saying the same thing. They're going to be promiscuous anyway, so just do it safely. Instead of a parent saying, wait a minute, you're not ready for that yet. You shouldn't be involved in that yet. So who's teaching them if not the parents? culture in the schools and they both are on the same side their side is we know you're going to do it so just do it safely and then we'll enable you to do it so who's speaking the truth it's supposed to be the parents but today parents aren't speaking the truth because we're not making time we're not talking to them so they're not getting the truth so we if we're going to cultivate character we have to be involved in these things we have to say you know what i want to raise up kids that love god or passionate about god my parents they had seven children 
And they all have unique names. My name is Micaiah, the most unique out of all of them. But there was Joshua, there's Caleb, there's Daniel, there's Lydia, there's Sarah, and then there's Jonathan. Now, all seven of us are biblical characters that all had to do something in the Bible. You say, what did they have to do? There was a point in all of their lives they had to stand by themselves. Nobody stood with them. And my parents said, you need to know we named you after these characters because you had to stand alone. We need to be able to raise children that can stand on the truth. Because today, people are falling for a lie, aren't they? Because they're not handed the truth. And so we have to say, I've connected them to the creator. I'm cultivating their character so that they're ready. Now, you say, what's the third and final one? Would you write this word, commit? Would you write this last word? This is the last one, and we're going to wrap it up here. It's the word, commit. Because we want to commit our children to action. We want to commit them to action. Now, there's a great passage of scripture that the psalmist writes, and he says this in Psalms 127, verse 3 through 6. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with the opponents in the courts. Now, I, I, I got a little illustration because I love this analogy today about arrows and the quiver. I just, I just think it's awesome. My parents, they had seven. I have three. So I put three arrows. But isn't it great that he used the illustration of the archer? You say, why would he use the illustration of an archer? There's several different reasons. And I'm just going to kind of go through these reasons with you because I think it'll be impactful for us to understand, especially those that are parenting in this room. Because you only, when it came to the archer, he needed to understand you only get one shot with an arrow. Most likely, the arrow was only going to be shot once. You see, most likely, he was not going to get this arrow back. You see, this arrow was going to go hit his target, and it may go behind enemy lines. It may go into an enemy's castle. It may go into a wild boar or a deer. But this arrow was going to go, and he was only going to get a shoot one shot with this arrow. With our children, we only get one shot. Here's the other thing. Did you know that arrows were handcrafted, and no one was exactly identical? You see, because every piece of wood was different. And each arrow had a specific job. So if the arrow needed to go pierce an animal's hide, they had to make sure the wood was a little bit harder, a little bit more sturdy. They had to make sure the arrow was prepared for the job. So the arrow is unique. Also, a warrior made his own arrows. The warrior, he didn't just trust somebody else's arrows. He wanted to hand make each arrow. He wanted to pour into it. He wanted to know that this arrow is not going to fail him because when he had a charging animal, he needs to grab for that arrow and that arrow needs to be ready. It needs to be proven. It needs to be tested. Because your children are going to go into a world that you're not going to get to be there with them. Many of us today, we're having children later and later in life. And so we understand that our children, they're going to live probably more time without parents than they are with parents. You say, why? Because we had children later in life. My parents, they were having kids when, I don't know, 13, 14. I have no idea. They started young, all right? They had a lot of them. And uh, so they're still, they got a lot of time. They're going to have a lot of time with kids and possibly even uh, great-grandkids. But here's the thing. We need to understand that, man, these arrows, our children, they're going to go where we can't. Also, arrows went where the warrior couldn't. You see, these arrows are going to go where you're never going to be able to go. You see, my children are going to talk to people I'll never get to talk to. They're going to do things that I'll never get to do. They're going to be a part of things I'll never get to be a part of. And you need to understand that your children are arrows to send into this next generation. Are they ready? You see, the arrows were designed for a specific task. So when we look at our children, we can't just look at them and think, oh, they're going to turn out right. It'll be all right. I'll just kind of default and and hopefully they turn out fingers crossed. No, God is teaching us in this passage to connect them with the creator, 
to cultivate their character and then commit them to action. Commit them for a plan. Give them a purpose. Regardless of how your politics are, there's a great president, George H.W. Bush. And you say, why do you call him a great president? For this reason. Because he's the only man other than John Adams, the second president of the United States, who has ever been both a president and the father to a president. You see, uh, George A.W. Bush, he raised two sons. Both of them ended up being governors, and one of them ended up being a president. But when he was asked what his greatest accomplishment, now, not what his greatest parenting accomplishment, when he was asked what his greatest accomplishment was in life, here's what he said, and this is why I think he's a great man. He said, when asked about his greatest accomplishment, he said, that my children still like to come home to see me. Because some of you, you don't like to go home. It's difficult for you to call a mom or a dad. It's difficult for you to even be home Thanksgiving, Christmas, because the relationship's not there. But you have your children. And will your children say, Mom, Dad, I always want to have this relationship with you. Because there's one thing that Jane and I want with our children is that when we're older, that they'll just pick up the phone, say, Hey, Dad, how you doing? Hey, mom, how you doing? Just think about you. And then not be Father's Day, not be Mother's Day, not be a birthday, anniversary, not be something traumatic. Just, hey, can we talk? Just want to spend some time with you. Hey, can I come over? Can we have dinner? And in your heart, yeah, it'd be nice to have a new car, then buy you a new car, give you a bigger house. But the best thing you want is your children to come home and want to be with you. Because just like love is spelled T-I-M-E for your children, Some of you, the greatest thing that you want for a birthday or a holiday is for your kids to just spend time with you and your grandkids to spend time with you. And so that's the goal. The goal is for us to say, these are arrows. Our children are here for a moment. And I know, mom, I know, dad, you're stressed out. My favorite part in Incredibles 2 is the fact that he's trying to do everything he can. And he drops off Jack-Jack at Edna's and he comes back home and Violet's there and he's telling Violet, I'm just trying to be a good dad. And some of you feel like that. You're like, I'm trying and I know I'm failing. I know I'm upsetting and frustrating. And it could be because you didn't have parents at all and you're just learning this. You're just figuring this out. And the fact that you've just stayed is a bigger accomplishment than your parents ever did. Some of you, you're like, my dad left. My mom left. I was raised by grandma. I was raised by a foster system. And so for you, you're you're sitting here, you're saying, I I know I'm not doing it perfectly. And this isn't to condemn us. This isn't to beat you down. This is to say, guess what? Let's refocus our priorities. Let's connect them to God. Let's cultivate their character. And then let's commit them to a cause. An arrow had a purpose. It had a mark it was trying to hit. Let's all stand as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this short passage of scripture. You had a plan for your children, the children of Israel, and it was for them to raise up a generation that loved God and served God. We need to raise up a generation that we love God, a generation that has character, a generation that is committed to a course of action. We have so many people that are so aimless in life. They don't know what they want to do with their life. So help us to to take this generation as arrows and to launch them into a future where they make an impact, they make a dent, they make a difference.
And so, Father, I pray for these parents. I know that their moms and dads, that they just feel so frustrated. They feel like they are never feeding their kids the right thing. They're not dressed the right way. They don't spend enough time with them. And they just beat themselves up. But here's one thing I know, and you want them to know. They're doing a better job than they think they're doing. Help them to leave encouraged. Help them to know that there's a church that loves and supports them. We pray that you bless this service. We're so grateful that they're here. We pray this in Jesus' name.